0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections.
1: Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Today's guest spent years on the streets of Philadelphia dealing with an addiction to opioids. She sought help in over 70 treatment centers, and today she is finally in recovery. Megan is now taking her experience, and together with her mother, Jennifer, they are back on the streets helping others who are in a similar situation. Today on Connections, Megan and her mother will share their story and talk about their new initiative, The Grace Project. Megan Cohen never saw herself being the type to become addicted to drugs, but that's exactly what happened. Megan spent years on the streets of Philadelphia dealing with an opioid addiction, and today she is finally in recovery. Megan, we wanna hear a little bit about you. You're about a year into your journey of recovery. Tell us a little bit about yourself prior to all of this.
0: Um, so prior to my addiction, you know, I I would have never expected my life to, to turn out going down that path. Um, you know, I was a pretty good kid. Um, I did well in school. I played sports. Um, you know, I always had a good heart. And, you know, I kind of in a way that made me feel like I was almost like too smart to become an addict. So like when I first started using, I really just thought that, you know, I was, I was being like a normal high school kid. And I didn't think that like, it was going to go down the path that it did, um, you know, but addiction doesn't discriminate. So I, uh, you know, I, I fell victim to it. And and that's when my life kind of took a huge turn. How did you uh, wind up an addict? Like, did you go through a lot of trauma? Or was it just kind of getting involved with the wrong crowd? What was your journey into addiction? Like? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I have suffered from a lot of trauma. Um, a lot of it in a way was I don't want to say self-inflicted because, you know, trauma is never necessarily like the the person's fault, um, you know, but a lot of the things that I went through, obviously, like were a result of my using like the places that I was, um, you know, growing up, I, things were like a little bit chaotic, you know, my mom did the best that she could to kind of like normalize things for us. But, um, you know, we, we had a lot going on and I kind of, I realized like at an early age, cause I started drinking probably when I was like. I would say 12 was probably the first time that I got drunk, Um, you know, and I started hanging out with older crowds. And like, I realized that if I was under the influence of something, or if I was running around with my friends, I didn't really have to think about like the internal stuff that was going on. You know, I I always, um, you know, and it just kind of, I'm sorry, somebody just called me. I hope that didn't interrupt it. Um, Yeah, but depression and it was kind of, it was a a solution for me, you know, to not, not feel the way that I didn't want to feel, Um, you know, so it was an easy way out.
1: Uh, Jen, as her mom, what was it like for you to watch all of this happening? Well, you
2: reason things out, you... Maybe overlook things because, as Megan said, she was very intelligent. She was coming up with her own algebraic equations in the fourth grade. The teachers couldn't, you know, disprove them. She was a very intelligent, very warm, very loving child. So you see things and you think, eh, it's a phase, or oh, maybe I'm I'm looking into this too hard, um, and then things start to get really deep and you there's there's no handbook on it you don't know how to go which way to go and as a single mom i was trying to uh, work and pay the bills and also be mom and dad to my two daughters so it was uh it was difficult i did not have addiction in my family we never had anything like this when i was growing up so i had no idea where to turn which way to go when Megan was feeling bad about things, I, I was always taught, okay, tomorrow's another day, you're going you're gonna to feel fine, and if not that day, eventually you will, and I didn't give a lot of credence to a lot of the things that Megan was feeling because it just wasn't the way that I would handle it, and I remember one of her counselors saying to me at one point, oh, well, this isn't about you. This is about Megan and this is how Megan handles things. And I think that that was, hmm. that was tough because she was a very, uh, uh, although I'm a marshmallow, um, a little bit of a tough marshmallow, Megan was just a marshmallow all around. And she felt, uh, she felt things a lot harder than I think that I, I was giving her credit for
0: Megan. Uh, how did you finally come out of addiction? What was that uh, like for you and, and what led to that? Um, yeah, so it was a really long journey for me. Um, Like I said, in the beginning, part of what kept me away from recovery was like, you know, not really giving credit to like the power of my disease, Um, always thinking I could outsmart it. And hey, like, I can just use one time. And like, the reality is like, it's a disease of our brain. Um, You know, so like, I didn't know how to deal with things. And that was my solution. So without doing any work, like, you know, it, it was obvious I was going to go back to it. Um, you know, so like this last time around, because I've been in over 70 treatment centers, um, you know, and like I had to hit rock bottom, you know, like people aren't going to get sober unless like they hit their bottom. So that's like when they stop digging, when things get bad enough, the pain is great enough. Um, you know, and like what that looked like for me was, you know, my mom had to stop enabling me um, because I think, you know, when I first had told her like, you know, I'm struggling with this, she wanted to help me so bad and like, she didn't have experience with it. So she was just like, okay, well, what do I do? And like, I knew that and I manipulated it and I took advantage of the fact that she didn't know what to do for so long. Um, you know, so finally, like I kept digging, I kept digging, I kept, you know, putting my family through horrible things. Um, you know, and it got to the point where she kicked me out and I had been homeless by choice a couple of times, um, in a couple of different States. And, um, you know, it, nothing compared to this last time, because I didn't have that option of like going home to moms. Um, you know, so I was completely homeless, no car, nothing um, out on the streets in Kensington. And, uh, you know, things just it, it, they progressively got worse. And like I said, I, I, I've been through a lot, um, especially like during my addiction. But it's just it's it's a whole different beast out there, especially when you don't have the option of going home, um, you know, so it's either stay on the streets or like you go to jail or you get sober. Um And I kind of got to the point where like, I didn't, I didn't have hope. Like I felt like I was going to die that way um, because I had, I, I thought I had tried so many times, but realistically, like I didn't, I didn't give it a solid shot. Um, You know, so I needed to be reminded that like there was still a human in me and there was a reason why I was still here and like some greater purpose. And, you know, I started praying and praying constantly and, you know, I was never a religious person. Um, You know, I, I still say I'm not, I'm very spiritual, but, um, you know, then my prayers started getting answered through strangers, um, and that's kind of like part of what inspired the Grace Project. Um, you know, kind of trying to bring that to somebody else—not just other addicts, but anybody who needs hope. You know, kind of trying to restore that through showing them, like showing them light in the world. Um, you know, because the world was a very dark place for me, and because these strangers showed me kindness and like showed me love it kind of, it gave me a little bit of hope. Like it was like a little bit of a light. And I called my mom and my mom came and got me and she did the best thing she could have done. She turned me in, um, you know, and, and I, there was like a different piece about me because, you know, the last thing that happened before I called her, like that was my big God moment. And that was when, you know, this woman that there's like a woman translating for us because she only spoke Spanish and I'm being completely honest, telling her like who I am and what I've done. And she like brought me into her house and she gave me, let me take a shower, gave me clean clothes and, you know, gave me warmth. Wow. Um, and that was my big, like God moment, you know, and things started changing. So I had a different piece and I was, I was open to actually give this a shot. And I did, I, you know, I worked a very thorough program. I still do. Um, and I'm big on like a holistic approach. So it's not just AA or, you know, whatever fellowship people do. But for me, you know, it's going to the gym, watching what I eat, and, you know, right. going to therapy um, just, just a holistic approach, you know, looking at all aspects of my life and trying to better them and just be healthy overall. Uh, we're going to, you mentioned the grace project. We're going to talk about that right away, but first Jen, uh, I'm wondering as a mom, what was it like to put those boundaries in place and set tough love and eventually turn your own daughter in? What was that like for you as a mom?
2: Well, you have to understand that at this point we were eight years into it and I, I watched my daughter go downhill and turn into a person that I did not recognize. She, uh, basically, she was a monster. You hear that, uh, you don't uh, understand it until you go through it, but that she was a totally different person, and I knew that one of two things was going to happen. Either I was going to be visiting her grave, or I was going to visit her in jail. There was no other choices, Um, so I opted for visiting her in jail. At least I knew where she was going to be every night, at least it gave her a chance, Um, and she had to have uh, responsibility for the things that she had done. She had done a lot of horrible things, done a lot of things to people that just wasn't Megan. But when they're in the height of their addiction, all their body knows is, I need to get high again or I'm going to die. So they do anything that they possibly can, and they don't. It's not that they she didn't love me. <clears throat> it's not that she didn't love her family. It was that she just wasn't her, and her body. And this is it's a sickness. It's a sickness. A lot of people don't realize that it's physical and it's mental. So they get it both. I'm a diabetic. I know what I have to do every day to manage my disease. She had another type of disease. And she didn't have control over that. And there, there's everybody can say, you can go and get help. Well, it's not that easy for them. Number one, they've done a lot of things they're ashamed of. Number two, there was probably something that has happened in their past that brought them to the addiction, to that wanting to have that feeling of not feeling. So then they go and they do more and more and more and more things that make them feel horrible. So they don't want to deal with them. So more and more, they want to just be high and not have any feeling. We met a girl down there, and she, was, uh, she said that she does amazing amounts of drugs because she just doesn't want to wake up, and she doesn't know why she still was alive. And that's the feeling for a lot of the people down there. They're hopeless. Their families have given up on them. They feel like they're not loved. They feel like their families are better off without them. So they just keep on doing drugs and in the hopes that they don't wake up. So there's the, as I said, and and if they start to withdraw, they're going through the physical pain. So they have the physical pain. They have the mental pain. Uh, they have the stigma that society has, which is that they're scum buckets, that they're horrible people. Oh, how could they do that? How could they do this? They, they just need to get help and be the end of it. Well, that's like telling me to stop being a diabetic. I can't stop being a diabetic. I can learn to live with the disease. And I have to do that every day for the rest of my life. She has the same thing, except she had a lot of things that she had to uh, not that she had to deal with, other than just the physical end of it. So there's a constant uh, a constant battle and they go out and they do more things. So the weight gets heavier. So it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Um, <laughs> every day I had to pray, every day I had to be, uh, I had to hope that I was going to uh, see my daughter again, or hear from my daughter. Every time you go to bed, and you see a different number come up. You wonder, is this the police? Is this somebody saying, hey, we found your daughter. We found this number here. Um, you never know. You just don't know what, you, uh, what you're going to uh, encounter. And it's a, it's a constant drain. But as I said, I had to figure out what was best for her. Um, everything that I was doing was just letting her keep on going down the path that she was going down. And uh, I couldn't couldn't have that anymore. So I had to let her go, uh, but I did so with love. I didn't tell her get out of my house, get out of my life. I'm never going to speak to you again. I told her that I loved her and that I would always be her mother. I would always be there for her, but I wasn't going to continue to help her do this. And it was tough because I knew that might have been the last time that I saw her. Did she feel like I was giving up on her? Did she feel like she had nothing else to? Uh, to live for because now finally she had ticked mommy off so much that mommy wanted nothing to do with her. I just, I didn't, didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that either way, if she continued down that path, she was going to be, uh, she was going to be dead. So I couldn't have, I had to at least give her a chance by just giving her the love and have the confidence that hopefully someday she would, she would come to do what she needed to do. I raised both my daughters to be very independent, to not wait for people to do things for them. And I just had to have faith that that's what was going to happen with her, that she was going to eventually do what needed to be done. And if not, then she was gonna be at peace.
1: And you definitely kept your hopes. You kept believing in her. And now today, uh, you guys have started up the Grace Project and Mm -hmm. Megan, you're in recovery. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Grace Project and why uh, you guys decided to start it up.
0: Um, So basically, like it it was actually not really, um, you know, when my mom picked me up that the last night that I was out there and turned me in, I had asked her to bring out food um you know because I was starving and so was everybody else that was out there that you know I was out there with and she did she brought Wawa um Wawa hoagies, and some waters and um you know she was able to see like what that meant to the people out there when she brought it um and like what it meant to me and you know started looking at things differently and like that's everybody out there is somebody's kid or like somebody's brother or sister um you know, so like it stuck with her, and she had gone out apparently a couple times without me, um, and brought some food out. But you know, I was still super early in recovery, so I guess she didn't want to risk. She knows how I am. Of course, I'm going to want to be there. Um, so when I celebrated about a year, she texted me um, because COVID hit. So I guess she hadn't been out there for a while, and she asked, you know, what what areas should somebody hit if they were going to bring food out. Um, you know, and like already right away, I was hooked. And I'm like, yeah, you're not doing that without me. I'm coming. Um, <laughs> you know, so I was like, well, let me make a post on Facebook and like, see if anybody else wants to come with us. Like, maybe we can make this a little bit bigger. Um, And I'm thinking, you know, maybe just like one time, it's going to be this big trip or like maybe once a month, like other people are going to want to get involved. Um, So I made the post and like, you know, it, it, it took off. Um, We have been out there every week since, Um, you know, since the, the first trip we made, I think we ended up incorporating as a nonprofit. I think it was within like the first three or four weeks, um, you know, cause people wanted to start, start donating money or, you know, send in-kind donations. Um, so at that point it was like, all right, well, like people want to know that like all this money is being tracked and like, let's make sure that they feel more comfortable. And then like, you know, the way that I looked at it at that point, I was saving up to move out of a recovery house. So, you know, I had money saved up that I was able to like Start the process of you know getting the paperwork filled out and like paying for these fees um, because like I had a roof over my head so it was okay that like I, I pushed that off a little bit longer and used the money for for something bigger than myself um, you know and like my vision with it is so much bigger than just like being in Philadelphia and helping the homes out there I want that to always be a focus but you know people lo- lose hope for many reasons um, you know I'm sure that my mom m- many times when we were growing up felt hopeless and like felt like she was alone. Um, you know, and I wish that there was something like the Grace Project that somebody could have written in for her and been like, hey, here's this mom and she's struggling and she's got two daughters and can you guys help in any way? Um, you know, and like there there's tons of reasons. There, there's tons of reasons why people feel alone or feel like, you know, they they're losing hope for, like I said, for whatever reason and they need, they need a reminder, like that there's still light in the world, just like I need a reminder when I had no hope. Um, so that's kind of like what the Grace Project's about. And, you know, it, it's just... I've always, I've always loved helping people. My mom raised me that way. Um, You know, even though she struggled to pay the bills growing up, like, you know, we would do stuff for the holidays for other families. And like, I remember her, you know, starting this money drive for one of her friends at work, um, you know, not never telling the person it was her, you know, leaving the money and saying like, Oh, this is from Santa on the desk, you know what I mean? Because that's just that's the way that she is. um, And that's the way that she raised me, you know, so there's, there's nothing better that we could do with our time. I mean, it's, it's perfect for both me and her.
1: What was it like to go back to the streets after you had been in recovery and you were at a point where you could go back on the streets? What was it like to see it um, from a different perspective?
0: You know, it, it's hard. Um, before I go out there, I always pray. Um, you know, I, I pray that I say something to somebody that plants a seed because I know the reality. Like if somebody's not ready, they're not going to go into treatment. But maybe, you know, me being out there is going to show them like, A, that they're cared about and B, that it's possible. Like if they want to get on the streets, they can. Um, you know, it's hard because I see people that I was out there with and, you know, I'm I'm watching them deteriorate. Um, so like, it's not easy by any means. Um, you know, because like, you, you just want to help them all. You want to get them all off the streets. You want to show them like, Hey, if I can do it, you can do it. You know? And like, I remember the first couple of times being out there and like people, they didn't recognize me at first. I had to be like, it's Megan, you know, because I looked so much different. I had a year of sobriety and like, you know, nobody out there ever expected me to get clean. The drug dealers were actually calling my mom when I was out there saying your daughter's going to die. You know, so it's just it's a weird feeling. It's hard, um, but it's also rewarding and and it's humbling. You know, it reminds me where I came from. Um, You know, when I'm out there every single week, I can't forget what it was like. So it's good for me in a way, you know, and it took a while to be able to do that because like, you know, you're seeing people, using drugs on the streets, out in the open, um, you know, people dealing drugs on the same blocks that I was buying them from. So, you know, it, it it's definitely something that you have to be in the right state of mind mentally. And I, I also know that, like, there might be a week where I'm going to have to say, hey, mom, or, you know, to my roommate who helps us a lot, like, you guys are going to have to run it this week. I'm not right mentally. Like, I shouldn't be out there, you know? So it's just, it's something that, like, you know, you have to, it, it's all in how you look at it you know, and getting in the right seat of mind before we go out there and making sure that, you know, you go into it with the understanding that you're going to see some things and like it's going to be upsetting. But if you just plan a little seed of hope for somebody, then we did something good for that day.
1: Now, it's still really early um, in the project, but have you had any success stories come out of it yet?
0: Um, you know, as far as I know, no, um, we've, we've gotten some people into treatment. Um, but it's not like they've checked in with us after. So I honestly don't know. Um, I'm sure that some of them probably are still clean. Um, I'm sure that some of them from, you know, seeing me out there that down the line, like they're going to realize, okay, maybe I can do it. Um, but you know, it's, it's been like five months. So it's very early on. Um, it's too hard to, you can't really tell until somebody's kind of working a program for a while. Like, how it's going to turn out. And it's something you always got to do. So it's hard to say necessarily that it brought success stories. Um, But, you know, even if it just plants a seed for somebody to let them know that they can do it or to just let them know that they're cared about, you know, to value their life a little bit, then I would say that that's success in itself. Um, And then with our holiday drive, because that was something else that we stepped out of the realm of just addiction. Like I said, we have a bigger vision, Um, you know, and that was, I would say that was definitely a success. Um, you know, being able we helped 23 kids, um, you know, to give them a Christmas and seeing the moms um, you know, one of them emailed us after saying how, you know, we reminded her that there's good in the world and like restored faith in her. Um, you know, one of the kids at one of the houses was the one who got oh. the, us. you know, it, seeing what that did for them and like the happiness that brought, I look at that as a success as well
1: definitely uh jennifer what is it like to be able to go out and and share this experience with your daughter now well
2: it's uh it's amazing and it's uh it's also troubling because every thursday night i come home and my mind is going crazy what can we do on a bigger level um there's so many abandoned buildings down there, uh, that that we could, we could change them into places where people can go and get immediate help. Um, there's no businesses down there. They're all locked up. Uh, there's only a few things here and there, a couple of pizza shops and so, but otherwise there's a, there's not, there's, there's just so much that needs to be done and trying to take this one step at a time is, uh, is it's, it's tough because you want to, you want to cause it, my dog there, you want to cause an immediate, an immediate change. But then I also have to remember that when we're down there and something that Megan may not understand is that uh, we kept somebody warm for another week. We got somebody food. For, you know a few days because we don't just feed them that night we give them snack bags so that they have snacks for the next couple of uh, the next couple of days. Uh, we're not the only ones who go down there's other groups that go down and so forth so there's so many other ways that we keep these people alive and we give them hope. Um, I've had people say are you enabling them because you're making it comfortable well <laughs> it's not comfortable for them to uh, put a sheet down on top of all the glass and needles and trash that's down there so that they can fall asleep. And it's definitely not making them say, oh, well, I was going to go get help. But now that I have this blanket, or I have this coat, or I have this warm meal, I think I'll just stay out here. So it's a there's a lot that society needs to realize about what goes on in the mindset of the people down there. It's wonderful in the way that I feel like everybody who we give a blanket to, everybody we give a coat to, everybody we give a warm meal to, we help them in some way, you know, for that day, for that week, whatever. We've kept a business owner from having things stolen from them because people are hungry. They eat out of garbage cans. So it's and it's great to see Megan go down there and she can organize all of this. And she can relate to these people because I I can't, there's nothing I can relate as a parent. I can relate to everybody out there listening who has lost somebody to addiction. You know, we want them to know that we do this in their memory. You know, we go out there so that maybe we spare another family from what's happening. Um, But Megan can talk to them. Megan can say, yeah, I did that. Oh yeah. I did that also. Mm -hmm. I did that. Yes. I, I had warrants out for my arrest and look at me now this is a year and a half later it can be done there are so many programs out there that people don't know about they don't understand what's out there to help them so if we plant that seed of hope I watch her she shines when she's out there for a lot of people they go down there and it's a very disturbing scene we can't really show how bad it is down there because there's yeah, you know, people don't want their picture taken. They don't want to be on video. They don't want their family to recognize them and see them down there at their worst. So there's a lot that we can't show. So when you're down there in person and you see a 27 year old who is missing a leg or part of their leg or an arm because they're picking dirty needles right up off of the street and they're sticking them in their arm, they're sticking them in their neck, they're sticking them in their eye right in front of you. Um, And then that needle goes down and somebody else does that picks up the same needle. It's just, it's, it's a horrible scene. They hit what they call hot veins. They get gangrene. There's no medical care for them. Um, it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, it's work that needs to be done and to see how she has run with this. I'm as she said, I made a phone call to her because I wanted to start doing it again. Um, thinking 10 years down the road maybe we can make a change you know you know five years down the road maybe we start bringing attention to it but with all of the volunteers and all of the good-hearted people out there and this is just spread like wildfire and we've gotten so far in five or six months that I can only imagine what the next year, year and a half is going to bring. That, you know, the kids down there can't go outside and play because they might get a needle in their foot. They might pick up a baggie that has remnants of fentanyl on it. And then that's the end of them. It, it's it's a it's a horrible thing, and it's so much more than just the people who are down there as drug addicts or, you know, as homeless, whatever it is. It's a forgotten part of Philadelphia, but every city in the United States of America and beyond has places like this. We happen to be the worst. I've met people who have tracked their children down in other cities and so forth, but I try to warn them what they're gonna see down there and they think, oh, it's okay. You know, it's I've, I've been in other places looking for them. And then they call me later and say, never saw anything like this in my life. It's like a scene from The Walking Dead. You're looking for the movie cameras to be out there. Um, and that's coming to these other cities, these other cities that have started this that have these little pockets of it. It gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And then it's, it's not the pretty part of the city. So nobody does anything about it. It's forgotten because the, it's such a big undertaking. And, you know, not, not, no one person can do it themselves. And, you know, when I wanted to go down there and, also, and feed people, as I was thinking, was these are somebody's kids somebody did this for my child. They showed her that kind of love. They showed her that kind of caring and she's around because of that. So I want to bring that to other people. I wanted, you know, to, to see Megan do it. It's I, when I watch her, I think it's therapeutic for her to give back and to be helping them. And, uh, it's just, it's an amazing thing to be with her as opposed to going down and trying to find her down there, which, uh, I know my first time going down there it was scary, very scary. You're sitting there and I was afraid to get out of my car. I'm watching people walk around doing drugs. I'm watching them fold in half as they walk. I'm watching them pass out and people just walk around them. I'm watching people get beat up from other people because somebody, they have something that somebody wants and they know that this person is an easy target to grab it from. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching all of this and as a mother wanting to go find my daughter, um, but scared and it's, it's a scary area. It's a scary thing to do, but, uh, the people that I learned quickly, the people who are down there, a lot of them are stuck down there and they're just good people who don't have a way out. So, uh, we go down there and I watch her walk around, uh, with caution, but without fear, and knowing that she's uh, hopefully helping somebody or helping a few people or just giving hope. And like I said, we do two to three hundred people a week as what we feed down there. And uh, if it keeps them thinking, OK, somebody cares because they do come up to us and they say, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming back. This really means a lot to us. So, you know, they're they're human. They're all somebody's babies. They're. Somebody's parents, their their brothers, sisters, they're, they're members of people's families, and they matter, and we want them to know that. And uh, you know, I don't think I realized even how much it meant to Megan until I started hearing her story and started watching her down there. I just knew that I felt like I had to do something to give something back because I felt like they they saved my daughter. It's a horrible area. It's an area that kills but it's also an area where a lot of people care and a lot of people go to show how much they care. And that means a lot to people who are drug addicted because that's one of the worst things is to feel alienated and to feel like you are that scum bucket that a lot of people still in society think that you are. So it's been, a it's been great. And I wanted to continue forever. And I hope that, uh, Yes. good comes of it and other cities can hopefully start to model and do things. And, you know, we can join with some of these other groups that go down there. Like I said, I don't want people to think we're the only ones who undertake this. There's many people who go, some people go down by themselves because they've lost a loved one. They've lost a child. We've had so many sad stories and they just don't know how to help. So they go down there and they, give out food once in a while, or they bring blankets or, you know, drive by and say, does anybody need anything and so forth. So there's a lot of people who are looking to try to try to figure this out. And I think that as a society, we can do that.
1: You were mentioning other cities for it's uh, um, drugs and all of these problems are also problems up here in Canada for anyone who may be listening, thinking, hey, you know what? This is something I wanna do. I, I really wanna get out there. I wanna help people. Um, what would you say to them, either of you? I would
0: say, you know, don't don't let fear of like not being able to make a difference keep you from trying. Um, you know, because like I said, I, I never saw this happening. Um, and it just starts with just putting that, like taking that first step, you know, making a post on Facebook. Hey, like I want to do something to help anybody have any ideas or, hey, I want to do this. Does anybody want to come? That's like how this all started. And it's insane. It's only been five months. And, you know, we've fed so many people and you know, done so many things and, and you know, taking care of 23 kids for Christmas. Like, it's insane how big things can get if you just kind of put that first step in. You know, there's a lot of people that want to help. They just, like my mom said, they don't know how to. Um, you know, so kind of even just putting that idea out there, it's it's pretty amazing, you know, when you make that initial step to see like how much good there is in the world. You know, like doing, doing this for me, um, you know, like I said, I started viewing because the world was very dark for me, you know, when I was using and, um, you know, through being in sobriety, like it started to lighten up a bit, but starting the grace project, like I I can't even describe it, seeing how much people care and, you know, seeing how much people like, you know, you guys wanting to get the word out and and other people that have contacted us, like it's a really beautiful thing and it's very rewarding. So I would say, you know, anybody who wants to, to do something and make a difference, take that first step and do it because that's what it's all about. You know, and you could start something great.
1: For people who want to learn more about the Grace Project, how can they go about doing that?
0: Um, so we have Instagram and Facebook, but we also have a website. It's www.teamgraceproject.org, um, T-E-A-M, graceproject.org. Um, and like most of our stuff is posted on Facebook. I'm still, I'm not too great with Instagram. Um, but Facebook, everything stays up to date. The website, um, you know, that's a, a good avenue to get information about like what we're doing and what's going on. Um, and then like, you know, my personal page, like I, it's, it's actually gotten to the point. I was talking to about it yesterday where, you know, I have the max amount of friends on Facebook because like, I won't turn anyone away. So if somebody wants to connect, you know, with me individually, even if they call this number, um, you know they can ask for me because there's a couple of my mom's on it one of our other board members um, you know but I'm always more than willing to talk to people if they have questions my mom is um, you know our other board members are and our volunteers so you know really reaching out to any of us like we can answer any questions that anyone has
1: and for anyone who may be listening either a family member of someone who's currently going through an addiction or someone who is the addict and is listening going I just have no hope I have nothing left what would you say to them
0: I would say that if I can do it, anyone can, Um, you know, I, like I said, I've been homeless in many different States. I've been in and out of treatment um, in and out of jail. You know, it's what scares people away. is like that. They think that it's hard. Um, You know, it's hard to get sober and it's hard to stay sober and it's really not, it's uncomfortable. It was what um, you know, in the beginning, it's uncomfortable because you're learning a new way of life. It's something that you're not used to. It's unfamiliar, Um, but it's so worth it. And you know, life, it gets so much better. And like I said, you know, the sky's the limit. If I'm able to do the things that I've done, you know, just in 18 short months, anybody can do anything. You know, I, I've had people reach out to me that I was in treatment with before and say like, you know, Oh, I saw this article or I saw this story about you and you know, it, it, I had to reach out because I never thought you were going to get it. You know, you were that person in rehab that like I was waiting to hear died. Um, you know, so that as long as there's
1: air in your lungs,
0: like you, that you have hope you know, there's no reason to ever lose hope. There's, there's always hope out there.
1: Thank you both for joining us this morning. Thank you so much much for having us. To hear more about the Grace Project or to hear some bonus material from today's interview, check out our podcast Connections with Mike, Tom and Colleen Hood. You can find that podcast at podcastbill.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.